This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-WY-Giving. So Philippians chapter 4. So let's go ahead and jump in at, well, verse 10 starts with the word but. So that means it's referring to the previous uh, paragraph. Let's pick up from the last paragraph. He says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, Think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. And we taught on that a couple weeks ago, but he goes right into the next paragraph there with, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now we shared this briefly. We just touched on it two weeks ago in the last Bible study as just sort of a preview. And I think I kind of talked it up too. And so now we're actually going to be able to pull it apart. Now this verse 13, let's just jump there for a second. We love that verse, don't we? Oh my goodness. That's one of our favorite ones. We pull it up out of memory. It encourages us when we need to. But a lot of times we apply it in the wrong contexts because he was saying that specifically with reference to what he was just saying in this in the paragraph above it. It wasn't just some standalone thing. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can fly through the air. Watch me jump off this roof and I'll fly across town. Hopefully nobody's tried that, but if they're in their right mind, even if they're not in their right mind. But he's referring specifically to being content in whatever your circumstances are, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're stone broke or you've got more money falling out of your pockets and you know what to do with, granted, Lord Jesus, we all have that problem as many as, of, as many of us as can handle it and it wouldn't destroy us, you know? So, and this is the apostolic lesson that I referred to two weeks ago. He says here in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. Now he was talking about the church in Philippi, the people, the Christians in the church in Philippi were concerned about Paul being able to get by and do his work for the Lord. Okay. And I know it makes mention that uh, he was a tent maker and that he often, well, we don't know if it was often or not, but we, we do know that he at times, however frequently the need was, he resorted to making tents to earn a living so that he was not a drag and a burden on the ministry where he was. But that was never intended to be something that was his his permanent thing. You know, not he wasn't merely a local pastor, not that that's a merely type of thing. He was an apostle, and those are rare as dinosaurs. Genuine apostles in, in the same context that the 12 apostles were. Not everybody's an apostle. 
Really, not everybody is. I know that there are some groups that say that if you're a believer, you're an apostle, but I really don't think that they understand what an apostle is. Um, as far as the raw definition of the word, it's someone who has been sent by God. But in the context that we understand it from the early church, an apostle was someone who had a direct encounter with God. And that's not something that everybody has, even Christians. So, well, I had a direct encounter with him with, in my salvation experience. Well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But there's just there's a little bit more to it than that. So Paul was an apostle who had planted churches, who had cared for churches, who wrote churches, who helped define or establish in our understanding the doctrines that we believe today, many of the doctrines, the fundamental doctrines that we believe today. And so the church at Philippi wanted to make sure that he wasn't struggling to be able to buy lunch sometime. So they sought to take care of him. So let's go back with that understanding and look at it. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now that at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What's he telling him here was just, thank you for being concerned about whether or not I get by. However, trust me, God has me covered because I have learned this lesson. And this is what he's saying here. I have learned this lesson in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And he elaborates in the following verses. I know both how to be abased. That means how to do with very little or to do completely without. And I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, this is worth some real meditation. Now, I know that there, there, there have been groups for as long as there's been a church. There have been groups that have liked to run to one extreme or like to run to the other extreme concerning our material prosperity as individual Christians. Well, God cares about you and he wants you to be a millionaire. Well, I don't really believe that. I do believe that he cares for us all individually, but I don't believe that he necessarily wants every one of us to be millionaires because not everybody can handle being a millionaire. And time has proven that over and over again. Oh, well, no, really, this, it, time's proven that with sinners. The sinners can't handle it. Well, there are a lot of saints that couldn't handle money either. There have been many. And I heard an account years ago about a brother who showed up at Bible college long, long ago, and it was before my time. And while he was in school, there was a relative who had passed away, and he had inherited a considerable sum of money. Not a million, but... You know, it's no small thing when you get a hundred thousand dollars drop in your lap out of nowhere. And so he suddenly has this enormous amount of money, and it's a lot of money even today. And I think this happened maybe sometime back in the 1980s or perhaps the early 90s. I don't really know when. So it was even worth more back then, relatively speaking, if you don't if you adjust for inflation. And he had this money, and he wasn't sure what to do with it. He approached his pastor and talked to him about it. And his pastor said, I tell you what you do, brother. You stick it in the bank and you forget about it. And you don't tell anybody that you have it. But the brother didn't listen. And it wasn't too long after that, new car. It wasn't too long after that, a whole bunch of other new stuff. And then he helped out some relatives and some things like that. And then before long, it was all gone. And then I don't think it was too long after that, he was gone too. Who in the world knows why? Money does weird things to people. It really does. And so 
as individual Christians, there's a lesson to be gleaned out of this. It wasn't Paul just talking up his own virtue about, I know how to be poor and I know how to handle money. Ha ha, look at me, I'm good to go either way. There's a lesson in it for every single one of us. One, not to fall in love with money because these things, these things can ebb and flow like the tide. And you can have seasons of considerable prosperity. Lots of money comes in. Some kind of a windfall comes in. And, and then it's a huge blessing to your life. But then one thing happens or a dozen thing happens or just time passes on and circumstances change. And then all the money's gone. Do you know how to be abased? And so then the next question comes in after that. Well, do we know how to abound? It is good, brothers and sisters, all of us, to know how to be in either state with respect to our finances and our resources and all of that. Some people can handle being rich. Some people can't handle being rich. Some people can handle being poor. Some people can't handle being poor. Some people only serve God when all their money runs out. And some people only serve God when they've got money in the bank in despair and they don't have to think about it because, and in, in both cases, there's a lack of faith at work. We need to be able to serve God in the good times and in the bad. Paul says, I have learned, and this is in the middle of verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Now, this is where it takes a little bit more philosophical slant. It doesn't get any, it doesn't get obscure. It just gets a bit more philosophical because it sounds like a paradox. Well, how can we be full and be hungry? Well, there's a saying. And I don't remember, I want to say it was Ralph Waldo Emerson. Not that he's a spiritual authority, but there was some real merit to this particular saying of his. The day is always his who works with serenity and great aims. And then there are some other people over in the self-help camps that will talk about entering into that flow state when you're working in something where time just ceases to, you have no consciousness of time. You're just, you're in the flow of your job and you're busy, but you're not stressed. You're busy, but you're not stressed. And that it's a very similar thing to what he's talking about here, being both full or uh, yes, to be both full and to be hungry. It's like you're full. You have what God, you have what God wants in your life for that moment, but you're not 100% content with everything because you know that there are better things to come yet in God. There are better things, better days, more challenges, things that are going to inspire growth in you and things like that. So there's a degree of contentment there for where you're at. You're where you need to be at that present moment in your walk with God and in your relationship with God, but you're still looking forward to better things. To be full and to be hungry is not a paradox. It simply speaks of being content with where you are, but looking forward to growing and being better and being closer to him. Deeper roots, higher branches, better fruit. Let that be our motto, amen? And not reach that point where we plateau in our spirituality and we think we have attained uh, and then we get satisfied in the wrong sense of the word. And that's, that's, that's where you start dying. The fruit that stops ripening starts to rot. 
Does that make sense? It's very, very true. I saw it in Florida all the time. It's like orange trees in every other yard down there. One fellow even said to me, he was a Florida native, so I don't know why anybody would ever pay money for an orange in the state of Florida. You can walk down your street and pick up enough of them to last you a season. They're just all over the place down there. But, you know, you'd look at whether it's oranges or whatever down in Florida, whether it was apples up in Washington State or other fruits that were grown up there. When they stop ripening, that's when they fall to the ground and then they begin to rot. They begin to die. We need to continuously grow and we need to continuously improve in God, whether by our own efforts through his spirit or whether by God's efforts putting us through our circumstances and life uh, experiences and the stuff that we go through that teaches us those formative lessons, all of that. Let us be both full and hungry. Don't plateau in your walk with God. That's like the kiss of death if you stay there for very long. You want to let yourself be challenged. And then when things come and you get challenged, don't resent it. Recognize immediately, God's working on me again. May not necessarily understand how, but I do understand why. He's trying to make me more in the image of Christ. And don't despair, okay? If you live 200 years on this earth, you'll always have growth and improvement to make. We will not attain absolute godly perfection in the ultimate sense until we've stepped out of this life and into eternity and enter into the and enter into the joy of our Lord, as the Bible says. So it's within the context of all of this, being content with whatever state that we're in. So well, I'm poor. You, need, you mean to tell me that I need to be content with that? Well, if we take Paul at his word, yeah. I don't mean be resigned to it. That's different. That's you've given up all hope for anything better than the, than the situation that you're in. And then that's a different kind of plateauing. That's no good because there's all kinds of Bible that speaks about God blessing us in the ways that we need. And I think we just talked about this on Sunday night, didn't we? It was in the Sunday night message. talked about how God will withhold no good thing from those that, are, that walk uprightly before him. And so the other extreme that people want to run to is, you know, just the extreme of, you know, you have to be poor and destitute to be holy. All right. Well, that's the Catholic monk's attitude. And then, but then there's the prosperity gospel side too, where we run to the other extreme. It's like, oh, well, if we're all Christians, we should all be millionaires or certainly something must be wrong between us and God if we're not all rich. And I've never bought into that. The Bible does not talk, doesn't teach us that at all. You show me somebody that believes in health and wealth prosperity. And that, and that type of a Christianity, ask them why they're still wearing glasses. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. Well, if you still need glasses, your eyes aren't perfect. You must not have enough faith. Right? And then he ends the paragraph with this line. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So the lesson in that paragraph is learn how to be content. Know how to be content. Whether times are tough or whether times are prosperous. And remember that God is to be praised in either situation. If you're living in a one-room roach box in the subtropics, or if you're living in a mansion in a much more comfortable part of the country, learn to be content. That is the real apostolic lesson of this paragraph here. And he wraps it up with, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, 
I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And that's the key to the lesson right there is through Christ. So well, I don't know how to be content when the money's run out and I don't know where, where my rent money's going to come from. Well, through Christ, you can be content. So well, I don't know how to be content. <laughs> Does anybody have this problem? I don't know. Does anybody in here have this problem? When I've got $500,000 in the bank that I just don't know what to do with. I don't know how to be content with that. The secret to all of it is through Christ. We can do these things through Christ, which strengtheneth us. We can do all things through him. We can be content with our state whatsoever, howsoever it may be, as long as it's through Christ. All right, let's move on. Verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift. Okay, so that takes away the money preacher accusation there. Paul was not greedy of gain. Paul was not a money preacher. Paul was not trying to fleece the sheep that he may live in opulence and luxury and all of that off of the hard-earned tithes or money that the people tithed on when they tithed in their local churches or sent an offering unto him. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So even in their giving, Paul wasn't just, it wasn't necessarily seeking for his own well-being, but he knew that in their giving, God would turn that around because he always does and he would bless them for their generosity and their gift. And that's one reason why we really don't back down talking about tithes and offerings and things like that here at the local church level. We don't back down from talking about it. There's always going to be people that get offended when you bring up the subject of money. And there's just no getting away from that. But we don't back down from the subject because we know that when people tithe to their church and when they give offerings to their church, but because it opens the windows of blessing on a person's life. It demonstrates faith in God that God can meet all of your needs. And we're going to talk more about that in a second in this paragraph and in the context of that. It shows God that you believe that you're not in love with your money, that you're not too afraid or stingy to let it go. And it really demonstrates a measure of trust. You really want to see somebody's faith tested? Watch them pay their tithe when the money is small and when the bills are due. You know, there'll always be those that say, oh, well, God understands, and then they withhold. But we've got Malachi talks about that and what that basically means. But Paul talking about, the, talking about it here says, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Every single time, that you have given. Whenever church you've ever been a part of, whether it's this one or churches past, every time you have tithed, every time you've given in an offering, those are two different things. Every time you've given in a special offering, anytime you've contributed to a mission or world missions or something like that, God knows. And it is on record in the kingdom of heaven. And he may bless in the life to come for that. He may bless in this life. He may bless sooner in this life than later. God knows every time 
that you have parted with your hard-earned income to help support the ministry that you have been a part of, that you've either contributed to or been receiving in or labored in or whatever it might be. He knows, and it has never once been in vain. The payday's coming. God's going to bless it if he hasn't already. And many people has blessed it already. So let's move on. That's what he's talking about when he speaks about fruit that may abound to their account. Verse 18, but I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, speaks of a care package there, but he wasn't giving details of the care package. He wasn't saying, uh, hey, I've received what, what you sent by Epaphroditus. And by the way, thanks for the cologne. You know, he says, you know, the sweet smell, an odor of a sweet smell. It's like this didn't send him perfume. Okay. He's talking about how that gift from them was effectively in the spiritual sense. It was a sweet smell as unto God. It was an odor that was pleasing unto God because that was part of what they did in the Old Testament religion of the Jews was they, they burnt the incense and the censers and it and the, the smoke of it rose up and it was uh, that and of course the smoke of the sacrifices as well that all went up and it spoke of these things in a metaphorical sense he's speaking here he says I'm full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you an odor of a sweet smell a sacrifice acceptable well pleasing to God when people give it's pleasing when they give with the right motive. Let me clarify that, okay? Because some people give with the wrong motive. They think that it buys them favor with God or it's going to get them some kind of an in with God. We already have an in with God. His name is Jesus. Some people do this. You know, they, they goof up somewhere in their life. They commit a sin. They feel bad. They feel terrible about it. And so one of the things that they'll do sometimes to solve their conscience is the very next time they're in the house of God, They'll give a larger offering than they normally give because they're, they think that, you know, and I'm not saying that it's always wrong to do this, all right? Just judge you in, in your own hearts, you know? Just give because they're feeling bad. Well, all right, whatever. But, but when, you're, when you're giving because you're trying to grease the skids with God's grace, that's where your motive's wrong. That's where the motive is you're missing the mark. You've missed the target with that motive. It's like, that's no different than doing penance for the sake of forgiveness. That's no different than that. You were forgiven the moment you repented and asked, and it was genuine and heartfelt in your heart. You didn't have to go through all these acrobatics of penance and all of that. So where did all this steam from? Um, about something that's acceptable and pleasing to God, and about giving with the right motive and all of that. It is, it's acceptable and it's well-pleasing to God. Verse 19, he concludes it. He says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And there's the core message of this paragraph, the core lesson in this paragraph. So he's speaking about giving and necessities, commending the church in Philippi, the, the Christians there in Philippi, for having supplied his need wherever he was, even when he was in Thessalonica. He, he said he sent once and again unto my necessity, and then he speaks of having received of their gift. It was a pleasing sacrifice to God, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that's another verse that we love out of this letter. And it's a promise. 
And it's a reminder of that promise. Whatever your need is, he will supply it. And if you stand on that promise, that man, that thing keeps coming up since that thing keeps coming up since either right before conference or sometime during conference. No, it was during conference. One of the messages in conference. This wasn't the message, but it came up in there and it's been coming back to my mind again and again and again. My God shall supply all your needs, all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I want to ask the question, do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Or is this just another one of those pet verses that we, we love because it sounds good and cross stitch or something like that and you put it on your in your the bed in your guest bedroom my god will supply all your needs or you put it on a picture and you hang it on a wall is this just one of those nice pleasing pet scriptures that we love so much or is this one of the promises that we stand on when the money's tight or when things are just going rough and it doesn't have anything to do with money at all because sometimes your hard times don't have anything to do with money. You might have a job that pays you really well, but it's just high stress. Might be one of those pressure jobs. What's an example of that? Well, anything in sales, that's one thing. Real estate. Um, there's a bunch of different things that fall under that category. You could even be a bill collector and feel that pressure. You spend all your days beating up on other people to part with their money for something they've already received. That's a nasty line of work. Trust me, I've been in it. But the promise is that God shall supply all your need. And it may not even have anything to do with money. It might be a need for rest. It might be a need for health. It might be a need for, well, you name it. We need a whole lot more things in this life than just dollar bills. We just tend to think of that as the first thing because dollar bills tend to supply a lot of the other needs. The need for food, shelter, decent clothing, uh, a car you can drive that doesn't have a part falling off of it every week, and so on. It's There are many needs that we have in this life, but God knows them all. And the promise is there. Don't just pass it up because it's buried at the tail end of one of Paul's smaller letters to the various churches. It's there for them. It's there for us. We can stand on it. We can depend on it. And what that also means is that when the need isn't met, when we think it needs to be met, God still has a plan. And that we are not shaken in our faith. We can stand on that rock and know, well, the way that I thought this was going to work out wasn't going to work out. But that just tells me God's still in control and he's got a plan for this thing. A brother was sharing with me recently about his housing situation. And he's trying to get it changed up, but it just didn't come together this time around. And so, and he, he expressed, that's how I know. That's how I know when it's time to move or not, to, meaning to, to act on something in his life, whether or not it's the will of God or not. And that just seemed like such a profound profession of faith right there. He's learned. He's learned not to be shaken, not to be fearful. It's just a real blessing to hear. Now, verse 20 says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. That's not something we can skip. I can't just skip over that. How would there be brethren Saints in Caesar's household. 
Could it be that while Paul was there, he was busy about the work of the Lord, spreading the gospel, even in Caesar's household? Oh, let that speak to us. That's good. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And there we have it. But let us bear in mind, let us remember the core lessons that we've gotten out of this. And there have been many. I know it was only four chapters, but there was a lot in here. Verses of scripture that we've memorized in times past, just sort of forgot which book and chapter and all that where it was, or even which apostle it was, or even which testament we read it in. Well, we've covered it here. Let's remember them. Let's remember the core lessons of being abased, knowing how to be abased, and knowing how to abound. And we could, goodness, we could go through. A review would take a half an hour, so we won't do that. But let's bear them in mind. And call them to remembrance often, as often as we need them. And having studied it now, go back, read, read it again, read it again, meditate on the lessons that are there, and let it speak to your life, let it inform your life, let it shape your life and your walk in your relationship with God. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.